0: To episode 390 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin. And you know what? I actually know what's going on on the show this Saturday because we do have a bonus episode. Uh, as I'm recording this tonight, I am scheduled to interview someone tomorrow for uh, a, an episode I will release on Saturday. So it looks like there will be a bonus episode this week. Hooray! Should be a lot of fun. It is a returning guest. And that's all I'll say. For now, because, you know, what could happen is last minute. Hey, sorry, I can't make it. And then, uh, you know, I, I don't want to make anyone look bad just in case something comes up. But I'm excited to speak to them again. Should be a lot of fun. And, you know, it's also tax day for me. Um, I took January 1st off to do all the prep for my taxes. And then tomorrow is the day that I will actually sit down with my tax guy. Stephen Massey has been absolutely wonderful the last uh, almost decade. You know, ever since I moved to Vegas, he has been the guy that I've worked with, been absolutely fantastic. And uh, that's one of the things that's going to be a bummer about leaving Vegas is, um, you know, not not having my annual hangout with him every year. So, um, you know, you you take the good and uh, you take the bad. And I think there's some other line that comes after that. Um, before we get into today's episode, a couple things I had said on, um, I think it was on my, my interview with Conrad that I was going to talk about what happened with the Aerosmith show that I do with Corey Morissette. But speaking of Conrad, I have to clear something up. I was completely wrong on the date. I said on the show that it was probably about two years to the date when, uh, he and I had met in person. Uh, along with, um, I was having lunch with uh, Bethany Heavenstone and Graham Bonnet. And um, I didn't know that Conrad was coming with us. So that was a really cool surprise that I got to meet him in person and hang out with him. And um, really super cool guy. If you guys haven't checked out that interview, um, please do. It's on YouTube, uh, the video version, and then you can get the audio version on your normal feed, wherever you're listening to this but a uh, super cool guy really is um, and a very talented guitarist. And we have, we have similar, um, you know, musical tastes as, as far as um, you know, his influences and stuff. But um, yeah. So the reason I was wrong is because I'm used to NAM being in January, but NAM was not in January two years ago. It was in June because that was the first NAM after COVID and they didn't want to wait a whole year to have it. So they said, well, why don't we cancel the Nashville one, which is not as big as the the Anaheim one. The Anaheim one's the big one. Um, so let's just do the Anaheim one in June. And that would have been when I went out to California. And that would have been when I met him, not January. So it wouldn't have been two years. It would have been about a year and a half. Um, so correction there. The other thing, Uh, that I said was that I would talk about the Aerosmith show. So um, I was the co-host of a podcast called Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited with my co-host Corey Morissette. I joined the show um, midstream. It had been going for a little while. I had been a guest a couple of times and they said, hey, why don't you just join as a host? And I said, okay. And then that was that. But uh, apparently now my role uh, was to do the uh, co-hosting job and then also handle the um, social media side of things. So basically when an episode would come out, I would announce it on Facebook and I would get on Twitter and uh, put that in there. I have canceled all of my Twitter pages, thank God, but uh, we had one for the podcast. So I logged in just to do that and then log out. Uh, but, um, apparently there was a lot of, um, I, I don't know if, it, if a lot is the right term. I actually don't know because I never saw it. I saw just a little snippet that Corey shared with me, but there was some negative comments about the show. Um, and we weren't really getting a lot of support. You know, we were having you know, a few people vote on our Twitter poll every week about whether they thought the song belonged on the mixtape or not, which was the goal of the show was to make the ultimate Aerosmith mixtape. So if somebody said, hey, um, I know that you're a fan of this band and I'm thinking about getting into them, what song should I listen to? So we had one side of the tape was hits and the other side of the tape was deep cut songs that weren't released as singles. And we were choosing, you know, a, a few songs uh, for each side. And uh, that was the goal was to go through every song that they recorded and, you know, come up with what we think would be the best representation of the band. And of course, there's no such thing as that. It's It's really, you know subjective. And it depends on, you know, whether you like a song a lot or a little bit, it all depends on what mood you're in and so many other factors. If you're hungry, um, you know, if you started the show late, you might be a a little less inclined to like a song. So there's all these factors, right? But apparently people were complaining. I don't know what all the complaints were. I really don't care. Um, because it's not a matter of what you think the podcast should be. It's about, here's what the podcast is. If you like it, please continue to listen. If you don't like it, then don't listen. Give it another chance later on if you want, um, whatever. But there's something wrong. and And I really mean this. There is something wrong with people that don't have any investment in something other than, you know, they checked out a couple episodes or whatever. They have no financial interest. They have no controlling interest. They're not part of the production. They don't know the people that are part of the production. And they need to get on the internet and complain about, I don't like this about the show or I don't like that about the show. You know what? No one cares. It's not your show. If you don't like it, just stop listening. It's that simple for you to take the extra steps to go on and start a Reddit thread or to, you know, jump in and and help with the complaining. um, There are definitely some mental issues out there. And I would highly suggest for people that feel the need to do that, um, please reach out to somebody for help. Because that really is, I I know that we live in this day and age of, uh, I have a voice and everyone needs to respect me and everybody needs to listen to what I have to say. No, we don't. We just don't. You're welcome to voice your opinion. But, you know, if you're doing that kind of stuff and you're just getting on to hate on things, there's really something wrong with that, guys. Um I get a lot of shit for doing this show. I've gotten a lot of shit for doing the Araya Heap show. I never really heard much um a couple comments here and there um on the the uh, Aerosmith show. But here's what's interesting. And maybe this is a bigger statement on society, I don't know. But I found it interesting that after the final show aired and Kevin Brown was, was kind enough to come on and help us kind of moderate because we may have had to make some tough decisions. We were going to throw some last minute options out there and just, you know, do one final episode to make the best mixtape we could without having listened to everything they ever recorded. And, you know, if this song is a little bit better than that song or whatever, I mean, we I think we found a great, well-rounded representation of Aerosmith. But um, the outpouring of affection we got from the show after the fact was pretty fantastic. I mean, to me, it was pretty substantial. And I appreciate that. But here's here's what I'm finding. And this is what I find interesting. People are just, they're dying to complain. They want to be, hey, look at me. I know better than people. Um, look at me. I want to bash something. Look at me. I have negative things to say. And, and people jump on that bandwagon. But what you don't see a lot of is people praising things. And it's really interesting that they wait until it's over to go, hey, I really enjoy your show. I listen to it every day or every week on my, you know, Wednesday commute to work, or I listen to it every week on my lunch hour, or whatever, you know, the the situations were. And um, man, I, I just I I hate to keep saying these same things over and over, but they're not getting better. They're not changing. Um, and these are the directions that we really need to take society, and we need to be supportive of each other. People talk about it. They say we need change, but I don't see people actually doing it. You know, leave reviews on Apple podcasts or iTunes. Um, that's the number one place that podcasts are listened to. So those are more likely going to be seen than if you leave reviews on Podbean um, or other places like that. Nothing against Podbean personally, um, even though they're they're no longer my distributor. I've moved on from their situation. Um they're they're not the number one that's listened to, but I would imagine they're pretty high up there because they, they seem to be pretty popular. Um, but you know what, guys? Seriously, take five seconds to compliment somebody. Take a few seconds and say, hey, I really appreciate this about you or that about you or I was just thinking about you and it made me smile or whatever. It is not that hard. Don't wait until it's too late. That's my big advice for this episode is do not wait until it's too late. And it's just so funny. A lot of the people too, they were like, I don't, I've been meaning to write, or I don't know why I didn't say this earlier. And maybe if I would have said something, it would have made a difference. Yeah, it might have. Because if all you're seeing is negative or 90% of what you're seeing is negative, how excited are you going to be every week to get on and record another episode? Probably not. So what ended up happening was all this stuff built up in Corey. And he had reached out to me a while back and said, I don't know if I want to continue podcasting. I, I really hate this side of it. Yes. People have a right to their opinions, but I'm kind of sick of, you know, hearing about it. And, um, and I, I get that, you know, and I, I left it up to him. I said, well, you know, you can, you can choose to limit what you look at. Like, don't search for it. Don't look at reviews. Don't go on Reddit threads and, and look it up or anything. Just like literally post the episode and be done with it. Like I do. Cause that's why I don't see this stuff. Um, or you can, you know, you can look at it and say, okay, even though they're being hateful, are they is there something in there that I could take and improve on? Is there anything that they're saying that I agree with? Um, you know, that's again another option that will be set by what your mind frame is in that moment that you read it. So um we continued on for a while and then it built up again, and, and he just decided that it was too much. And I 1000 percent back him on that. I hate the idea of letting the bullies win. And that's exactly what happened here. But I also don't think so because for Corey to make the decision that he doesn't want to continue on, that he's not feeling that it's more important that we continue on because we said we were going to do it or because he feels some obligation to the people that do enjoy the show and it's it's soul crushing to keep doing it every week. There's no reason to keep doing it. I mean, we don't get paid for this stuff. This is time that we take to you know do whatever episodes we're going to do, whether we're arranging interviews or guests or whatever, and then having to edit it and then the time to, to you know upload it, do all the show notes and get that all out there. That is a lot of time. And for us to not get paid for it and do it, it should be because we love it. I and mean, there's no other reason for us to do it. So if you're not loving it anymore there is no reason to do it you know it's like you don't stay together in a horrible marriage just because of you have kids like that's the dumbest thing you can do kids will survive you know people will survive without the podcast honestly what what i found also shocking was that i thought there were a ton of aerosmith podcasts out there i never looked cuz i i don't care about the band that much to be honest um, it was an opportunity for me to hang out with Corey every week. I love working with him. We've got some stuff in the works that could be coming out soon. I will keep you updated on that. But if you're if you're not loving it, you know, don't do it. But, but people were saying, I wish I would have. And man, I really should have. And just quit saying you're going to do something and do it. That's the bottom line. You know, you could change people's lives by telling them positive things. You really could. And had we heard some of that, maybe there would have been a better balance and maybe it wouldn't have affected him as much as it did. And maybe he wouldn't have felt the way he did and wanted to cancel the show. We could still be doing it. Um, but since I don't really care about Aerosmith, um, I'm fine that we're not. Um, but what I was saying was I was surprised that there weren't a bunch of Aerosmith podcasts out there because I assume there were like, there's tons of Beatles podcasts, I guess. Um, there's one deep purple podcast. There's one Your I heat podcast. um, but apparently there wasn't a lot in the way of Aerosmith either, which I'm quite honestly shocked by. Uh, but I had fun doing it. You know, I'm, I'm glad I took the opportunity to do it and, um, really had fun hanging out with Corey digging into a band. I really didn't know that much about learning their tumultuous history and why they could have been a better band and weren't, but they had a lot of good songs. I I will say that. Um, So that's that. That explains why we didn't uh, do that. But when we uh, get everything together for our potential new show, I'll let you guys know. Of course I will. Why wouldn't I? Because why wouldn't I promote stuff I'm working on? Why wouldn't I promote stuff that makes me happy? But I will say, if you go to my website, scotthaskin.com, and you go to the Aerosmith podcast link, there is a link to all the podcasts that are in the Deep Dive podcast network. Your I uh, the Magicians podcast is one of them. And uh, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisit is one of them. Um, He's also doing a show with Kevin Brown called The Ultimate Catalog Clash, which I'm a huge fan of. Love it. Right now, they're currently covering one of the eras of Metallica going through every song and they have this whole cool rating system. I'm not big on rating songs. I don't think it's a necessary thing to do, but that is a very popular thing that people are doing. So if you're, uh, if you're interested in that or want to learn about the songs or, or get their opinions, go check out ultimate catalog clash link is on the uh, website, or you can find it in your favorite uh, podcast player, whichever you prefer. But today we're here to talk about the last Debbie Gibson album that I plan on covering on the show You know, anything could change at any time. Who knows? I didn't start the show out thinking I was even going to do album reviews or maybe I did. I don't remember, Uh, but certainly not to the extent that I'm doing them now. But anyway, this album came out in 1993, did not quite reach the success that her previous albums had. It did not crack the top 100. And uh, this was her last album with Atlantic. Personally, I love this album. I think this is really where she I, and I like the last one a lot. But I think this is where she really found herself as a songwriter. Um, after this things, her, her writing style kind of changed. I listened to a bit of MYOB and I listened to a little bit of The Body Remembers. I did not care for her Christmas album. Part of that, I think, might have been the song selections. But um, yeah, so this is kind of where my journey with her ended. I, As much as I love this album... I was not impressed with what came after her style changed a lot. It just didn't suit my taste. I've listened again to clips to see if, well, you know, maybe my feelings would have changed. They haven't. So, uh, so this is it guys, but we have two bonus tracks that I have never heard. I still haven't listened to them. I will do that through, uh, this podcast today. So this should be fun. And then remember, uh, tune in for our episode Saturday. And then, uh, I have another one that I'm recording tomorrow with a special guest for next Wednesday. So lots of fun. Lots of fun, but uh, closing out the Debbie Gibson chapter of the Haskin Cast podcast, let's get into this album Mind Body Soul. By the way, I think it may have had a limited release because boy, it is hard to find for a good price. I found one on Discogs for I think it was fifty five with shipping, which was the lowest. There's one on eBay that's like a hundred and forty. Um, but it's like you know seventy to one hundred and twenty dollars on Discogs for the most part. But there was that one for fifty five. But that's the only of the only one of the four albums I don't have on vinyl. So um, you know, if you guys hear of a good deal, if you have one that you want to sell, let me know. I'm not looking for forty fives. I'm looking for the uh, the full length thirty three rpm vinyl album. So that being said, let's get into our first song. This one's a little bit, you know, this album is a little bit more hip hoppy. I would say than the last one, but, but, uh, not, not beyond what I would enjoy. This is called love or money. This one's got such a great groove to it. Um, percussion sound-wise, it is a little bit more hip hop, um, but I really like it. It, it. it feels good. It moves. It's got um, just a, a really cool energy to it. A great way to kick off an album, and uh, I don't, I don't think I could be happier with it. It's a, it's a great song and one worth listening to. Her voice is strong. She sounds really good right off the bat. She's doing some vocal layering. She's got a lot of instruments that just come in for little touches here and there, which is part of the style that she had been developing. And um, yeah, really good stuff. I really dig this one. This is one of the ones that when I worked for the Denver Post, um, living in Colorado Springs, doing deliveries for the Denver Post to uh, like, you know, the racks that you used to see along the street, the metal racks for newspapers, um, also dropping off bundles to like grocery stores and schools and uh, things like that. A couple of motels, as, as I recall, but uh, this was in Colorado Springs and it was all year round. So that was um. There was some harsh nights winter wise because the paper always came out. There's no snow days for that. Um, of course, now everything's online and you can just stay nice and cozy at home and not wear down your own vehicle while um while doing that. But that was that was a fun job because it was uh you were independent and you just you know you just had to get done on time. That was it. You could talk to people at the stores if if you wanted to have a conversation if it was okay with them. As a clerk who was also working at 7-Eleven on nights, I wasn't delivering the Denver Post. Uh, I did not enjoy that. <laughs> so I always tried to be respectful of people, you know, just polite. Hey, here's your papers. How you doing today? That kind of thing. Um, I drank a lot of mochas back in those days. So I would just take the, you know, like at Seven Eleven, you could get hot chocolate, you could get coffee, and I would do just a half and half of both. And um, yeah. Yeah, those were fun times. A couple of scary winter nights. I remember doing a a couple of routes up in Castle Rock that um, had some pretty severe weather conditions. But uh, apart from that, yeah, it was a pretty cool job. But this was one of the albums that um, I would frequent because I I don't know if it just came out or that's when I just started to get into it because I didn't always know albums were out. It wasn't like today, you know, where we have the Internet. If you didn't go into a record store or you weren't buying the trade magazines, and I'm sorry, but I was not buying Teen Beat back in the day, you wouldn't know. Uh, unless somebody, you know, told you it was out or or whatever. And I didn't have a lot of um, a lot of friends listening to Debbie. So uh, I found it when I found it. And just that was around the time I started getting into it. So uh, that was that was well played in the car on those late night deliveries. Um, Let's move on to our second song. This is a, a nice one. It's called Do You Have It In Your Heart? the line in this I meant to mention that on the first song too how great the line was on that that's one thing that she's really good at is percussion and bass lines and hooks there's a uh, you know there's a there's a nice uh, middle section in this song that uh, has a real good feel but I just I love the mood of this song you know there's something about the production on this album the the combinations of sounds that she was using for the songs um, it, it was just one of those things that came together it, it, for me as a listener, it's just a great album. It's very cohesive, and um, the mood it sets and all that is fantastic. Really, really dig it. Um, but this one's a—it's—it's it's a fun song. It's like you know a little bit lower of a tempo. It's got just that pulse to it—that ba ba ba. But the bass line makes up for the lack of riff because the bass line is really carrying a, a, a nice groove along with the percussion. Um, again, she sounds great on the song. Very strong voice. There's, there's really nothing I can say about it that I don't like. I think it's a really cool, a really cool tune. It's one of my favorites on the album. Um, our next song is called Free Me. Oh, you know what? Before I get to that, there is one thing I, I have to say. Um, and I noticed this when I was listening to clips for, I think it was MYOB or it might've been um, The Body Remembers. But this thing that that she does, which was kind of similar to what John Lawton did in Your Eye Heap, where he has to kind of announce that he's on the song before the song really goes anywhere, you know, well before the vocals start, she's got to do her little hums. And, you know, I, I, that really does wear on me after a while. I don't like things that are repetitive. I don't like, um, you know, themes that, that just keep occurring that aren't really necessary. And that kind of stuff, I get that she's feeling the song. I get that she's expressing that and, and I can appreciate that. But as a listener, God, that shit just gets old. It really does for me. Um, and John Lawton would do that on, you know, on the three albums that he did with Uriah Heep, it was almost every song too. It, it, it like a drinking game where, you know, if you could find, um, a a song where he didn't do it and take a shot, you could probably drive sober listening to all three albums back to back. Um, it was kind of ridiculous, but that's the style. And just like the podcast, it's one thing I, you know, I'm, I'm doing a specific commentary on the albums themselves, but, um, you know, it's personal taste. Um, I'm not going out and starting Reddit threads about it. I'm just saying here in the context of an album review, for me, that's something that really doesn't work. One or two songs here and there. Okay, that's fine. It it adds a little bit of spice, makes the song a little bit individual, but God, there's just so many that she does it on that really just kind of wears on me after a while. Interestingly, and I did not go to NAMM this year, I'm very disappointed that I had to make that decision. Um, next year I will be there. That is my, my absolute goal. But um, Mia Asano, I follow her on Instagram. She's an incredibly talented violinist. She uh, she also does some work with Tina Guo. She just released a, another album. And um, not Tina, but uh, Mia did with, with her, uh, another artist who plays bagpipes. But she plays, uh, it, you know, the way that Tina plays her electric cello kind of in a metal, there's distortion on it, really heavy sounding, really aggressive playing. Um, that's how Mia Asano attacks the violin, very much in the same way. Very talented, and she had posted uh, some stuff from Nam this year. And uh, I'm recording this on what is it Monday? And Nam just ended yesterday, so I, I have been doing really well. Aside from all the emails that I get from vendors that I'm connected to, that oh, come see us at our booth, and we're premiering this, and we're doing that, and then of course all my friends that go that post uh, stuff about Nam and trying not to be bummed about my decision to, uh, to not go this year, but with the pending move and everything coming up, it didn't really seem like the wise thing to do. So, um, I was doing pretty good until I saw Mia's post and she posted that Debbie was there. And of course, uh, you know, she's running around the room singing, no shoes on for some reason. I, I don't know if that helps her voice or not, but, um, The other thing that's gotten kind of annoying, and and I no longer follow Debbie on social media because of this, like she just can't have a conversation. She's, she's got to sing. And, you know, that's, for me, that's a little bit difficult. You know, I, I, I remember, um, who was it? I saw a short clip of an interview with Millie Bobby. Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things, where she was talking about some something that she was doing with Mariah Carey. I guess they had a project together, and she was over at Mariah's house, and Mariah would just do that, like she would just start singing out of the blue. I'm like, um, I guess I can kind of relate to that because I used to drum on everything, but I also grew out of that to an extent. Um, Certainly didn't do it around people a whole lot Uh, when I was younger. I did, but you know, um, I get I get the need for expression, but. I don't know. There's there's like inside voice and outside voice. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, uh, so she was there at Nam, and I'm kind of bummed because I had not seen any clips of her previously going to Nam. I don't know if that's something she normally does. I've never seen her there in all the years that I've gone. Um, funny, though, people were posting videos of Stevie Wonder. And um, I thought that was interesting because that was my first year experience was seeing Stevie Wonder down in Hall E, which is in the basement, which is a lot of the newbies and you know, the smaller vendors that don't need big uh, space on the main floor. And um, that guy was a real presence. I have to say, I think I've talked about that on the show before, but that was like within the first couple hours of my first year, I met uh, David Crosby several times and um, saw Stevie Wonder walk right by me. And that's how Nam started for me my first year. So really, really interesting experience. Um, even now when, when I've gone back to that, uh, section where I saw David like aisle after aisle for a little bit, um, I always smile whenever I'm back in that area. Cause, uh, it just has good memories for me and it was really nice to meet him. Uh, but anyway, let's get to our next song. This is called free me. thing in this song I'm really not a fan of is is the opening, just that vocal opening. I really don't care for that. Um, And the snare sound. Um, The snare is a little bit papery for me. I love, love, love the bass drum sound, though. It's really nice and big and punchy. Uh, Big fan of that song. Again, another killer bass line. Just amazing. Another thing I love about this song is the way that it goes into the chorus it just has a, a really short, interesting ramp up feel to it that sometimes isn't even there, but because you get used to it in in other choruses, you'll hear it in all of them. Um, there's one that's got a particularly good snare roll going into it uh, that I really like. But yeah, this is a fun song, an absolutely fun song. Again, very simple musically as far as the the lead part of it. It's really kind of a pulse and uh, everything is just built around that pulse. But really, really cool tune. Great percussion, great bass line. Um, other than the intro, great vocal. Really dig this one. And this is another one that I would highly recommend listening to. But here's one that I really dig too. And this is kind of the, um, I don't know if you want to call it the coming of age song or or not. But this is where she's getting a little bit dirty. This is called Shock Your Mama. I love how rich and full all these songs sound, too. I mean, the production on this album is absolutely incredible, very much on par with her other albums. But you can see, like, if you go back to the first album and listen to the songs on that one and then you listen to this, you really see a, a huge growth in terms of songwriting, in production. And her first album sounded great, don't get me wrong, but these songs are, they're all just rich and full. It's a really good sounding album, very well-rounded, um, musically and sonically, um, kudos on that. Uh, there's a couple things I really don't like in this song. And, um, but I honestly, I think that they're so outweighed by the the rest of the song that I kind of don't care. Um, I don't like to break down in it. it. It just, it's just not my style of things. And it's kind of like really hip hoppy and, and, goes into that territory that I just don't enjoy. And then the section after that, where she's just like kind of rapping on, on vocals. And I've, I've really never liked that. It, it's a throwback to the sixties, I guess. And in the sixties it worked, but there also is, um, I think there's a sample of Aretha Franklin from the song respect in there, uh, as well. So it's, um, you know, it's kind of, if it's a throwback thing, I get it, but I just don't really care for that part of the song. Other than that percussion, a plus, absolutely love it. The riff, anyone who can make me like orchestra hits that are synthesized in a song that that are used that way as part of the beat and riff at the same time. Um, there's only a couple songs I've really enjoyed that and this is one of them just very, very well done, very put together, great energy. The song order on this is, uh, is just killer. It's just the, the one thing that I find kind of funny. And I know that you know if, if it was a single and I don't know if it was, it, it could have been easily a radio playable song. But the whole thing is about like, look, dude, I'm growing up. I know when to put on my Sunday dress when your mom's there. And I also know when to get kind of you know down and dirty when it's time for that. And uh, I will rock your world. And that's what the song is about. But the funny thing is when, when she goes to say, kiss my ass, instead of the word ass, she just kind of screams. And and it's like, you know, kind of in the way of bleeping it out. And I'm like, yeah, right. You're, you're such a dirty girl. You can't even say ass. So, you know, kind of takes away some of the legitimacy of the lyrics, but, um, it is kind of a cool scream. I will say that it's just like, a, ah, you know, but, um, but I, I just find that part funny. Like I'm such a bad guy. I will leave some of the food on my plate or I'll only tip the waitress 10%. That's how cool I am. It just, it just doesn't really work, you know? Uh, but it's a really, really good song. Love it. Absolutely love it. Our next song gets a little bit slower. This one's called Losing Myself. song again those pads they're they're warm but they kind of have a cool edge to them i actually i'm surprised at how much louder they are than the percussion is but yet the percussion really kind of cuts through i think the percussion is panned a little more towards the center and the pads seem to be duplicated and padded far out in the in the uh mix field so that might be part of the reason why they're kind of filling up the walls on the side to keep you inside the song um great vocal performance on this one While it's not my favorite song, I don't dislike it, but it it does feel a little bit long to me. Um, it is five and a quarter minutes probably could have cut down to maybe four, four and a quarter, um, because it doesn't really change that much. There's not a lot of dynamics to it beyond what you're hearing in the sample clip. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good song. Um, not bad at all. I, I get the emotion of it. And I think it's kind of nice after Shock Your Mama to have something that really kind of just rebalances and brings it down because that was a real powerful, hard hitting song. Now you're kind of going back a little bit lower than the mid and, and, you know, kind of finding a little bit of balance in it. So I think the song order really helps. Um, our next song, I absolutely love. It's called How Can This Be? think this is one of her best vocal performances of, of all the songs that I know from her. I would have to say that this is one of the best. There is a, a, a strength that, that comes out in little inflections here and there that really add an edge that matches the lyrics and that uh, perspective of, of screaming out in pain you know, of, of the loss of this relationship. It's so well done, but I also like the fact like sometimes she'll just take out a snare and put like a little pop sound in there that, uh, you know, kind of keeps it interesting and keeps the song moving. Uh, that's a great strategy for songwriting. Um, especially when you can get in the habit of just doing something really repetitive. And, uh, I like that she just adds these little, almost like little pops of audio color in her songs, especially on this album. I think she really mastered that on this one. Um, I'm really disappointed. And, And again, this is just my personal taste, but I'm really disappointed that she did not continue along this line of pop songs. But here's the thing. The industry was changing. The kind of music was changing. So what she was writing here probably wasn't the kind of music that she should have put out in another two years, you know, she wrote what was natural for her, what she liked, what she wanted to release. And that's certainly fine. I just love this kind of music so much, the way that she did it. And I can't, I I don't really follow any other artists and I don't really follow her, but, um, there aren't any other artists that I was pursuing buying their albums or even checking out what they were doing that uh, enough to, to encapsulate me and say, I need to dig in more and um but yeah there was there was really something special about this album i think and and it's kind of sad that there wasn't a follow up that was along these lines and maybe the next logical progression if things had changed quite dramatically and i don't know if that's because she started doing broadway or what cuz i don't know the timeline for everything but it it definitely The the next albums were very, very different from from this. This is the last. It's almost like when a band changes singers or, you know, they they, uh, try new trends or whatever, and they don't sound like they did in the beginning. Take uh, Deep Purple. The first three albums were very psychedelic. Then after the concerto, they come out with Deep Purple and rock. And it's just, you know, hard rock from there. And um, so you go back to those first three first three albums. And if you were a really big fan of that, you're like, oh, I really wish they would have continued along this journey because I really like this sound and I really like the feel of these songs. So, you know, artists progress. They change. They experiment. They try things. They're exposed to different things, which will influence how they write and what they want to release. So whatever she did was probably very natural for her. Uh, I can just say it's straight away from what I enjoyed personally. So this would be the last album that I really got into. And I really, really love this album. Um, But yeah, great, great performance. Great bridge in this one. Um, Real just pops of emotion in the vocals. Um, How Can This Be is an absolutely fantastic song. Um, Our next song is called When I Say No. I forgot how much I like the song. Uh, great backing vocals, really powerful, good message. Um, really cool bridge in the song, too. And then after the bridge, there's a really neat it's not I can't call it a solo because it's not it's just kind of a, a weird, insane little keyboard part. Uh, that's, uh, you know, a few measures long, but it's really cool. I really dig it. And some nice percussion to back that up. I love the backing vocals in this song. Um, they're very, they're very supportive of the lead vocal in not just the way that they're utilized in, in the audio capacity, but they're just like, hell yeah, hell yeah. Just supporting what she's saying. Cause this is a very, you know, this is a strong statement song. Um yeah, this one I just love. It's, it's such a great groove, a great feel to it, even though it's, you know, kind of a, hey, there's a problem I'm pointing out in society, aside from the message musically and everything. It's just a fun song. It really is. Uh, our next song is called Little Birdie. Sum up my feelings about this song in one word, and that word would be skip. I've never liked the song. Um, the backing vocals, I think, are what really ruin it for me. They're obnoxious. They're endless. There's so much going on. It's distracting from the lead vocal and obnoxious. I think would be the the best word I could use to describe my feelings about them. Um, interestingly, though, uh, she does say the word tweet. Uh, because the song is called Little Birdie. And um, right going into every chorus, she says tweet. This was years before Twitter, folks. We didn't know what a tweet would mean. Uh, You know, a couple decades down the road. Let's see. When did this come out? This was 93. So it'd be a little while before Twitter came along. I don't know. Maybe they were inspired by this song. I couldn't tell you. Um, there is a nice, uh, bridge section in here that I do like, and also a really good saxophone solo. Uh, if you like the sound of sax and she's, uh, you know, a lot of her music has saxophone in it, uh, great solo on this song well worth listening to, but the song itself is, um, it's, it's kind of, um, just a little audio overkill for me. There's just too many things going on at once that, uh, it's kind of like, do, do I listen to this? Do I listen to that? I don't even know. And it all distracts from the main vocal, which should be the main focus point, uh, you know, during the the parts where there's vocals. So uh, I would say a thumbs down for for this one for me. But that's OK, because, I mean, out of eight songs, we've had seven that I've really liked and one that I didn't. So, you know, we're still we're still batting a, a good average here. Uh, as we move on to our next one, this is called Kisses for One. which seems very awkward. noticed how abrupt that was going from the intro into where the vocals started just feels like it just like it it was going in one direction and it just stopped to take a, a slight breath and it just exploded into something completely different um that was a little bit more jarring than i remember it being um it's a pretty decent song. It's not bad. Um what I really like, my favorite part of the song is the bridge and it's not the vocals, it's the synthesizers that are going on behind it, really really cool playing and then it leads out from that into another sax solo. Uh but it's a pretty cool song. It's well constructed. Um it's got a good feel to it. Uh nice drums again. Love the bass playing. In fact, in the beginning section uh when the vocals first start that bass playing with a slide in it, really heavy bass too. It's really gritty. Uh, killer bass line, Absolutely killer bass, baseline and performance. I don't know if it's, um, you know, a keyboard or a real bass, but uh, in any case, it's uh, something I like to very, very much. But you know what else I like is our next song. It's called Tear Down These Walls. love the percussion on this song. It's crazy. And I absolutely love it. It's it's percussion written in a way that even as a drummer, I wouldn't think about writing percussion in the, the manner that she does. And I, I always find her stuff really interesting, uh, especially in that section. Um, cool song. Uh, decent bridge. Uh, again, I, I, I like what's going on in the bridge, um, as well as just the, the song on the whole has a pretty good feel to it. Not one that I would say, oh, my God, you have to hear this song but it's kind of a nice um you know let's uh, we're we're approaching the end and and getting ready to land this is kind of a good song had the album not had it i don't think i would i don't think it would have been lacking for anything cuz it's not you know an explosive song or anything like that um but it's pretty decent it's it's you know it's got a nice feel to it but it's just kind of um kind of a mid-range song for me to be honest um the last song on the proper album however I have strong feelings about this one is called goodbye. Be a so before I played the clip, I said I had strong feelings about this song, and I absolutely do. I think this is one of the best songs that she ever wrote and performed, um, at least of the ones I know, because I didn't listen to all of the other albums and all of that. Um, but personally, of the four albums that I've reviewed on the show, this and Sure, which were on the last, which was on the last album. Uh, those are her two best songs for me. This one is so passionate. It's just uh, I need to let this out. It's a kind of an open letter, you know, to an ex and um but it could apply to a lot of things. I mean it could apply to uh you know a pet or or some you know friend that's no longer in your life. but it's uh it's a very powerful vocal. I absolutely love it um very emotional and the end is so haunting it really is it's just like it's a shocker and that alone is well worth listening to this entire album you know even if you're not a fan of hers just to get to the end like if you were forced to listen to the whole album to be able to hear the end you know like imagine uh the equivalent of like wanting to see the end of a movie but you have to sit through the entire thing at the theater to get to the end like you're just stuck you have to experience the whole thing it would be worth it, even if you're not a huge fan of this album, to get to the ending because it's fantastic. Um, and that was the way that the the proper album ended. Now I'm going to get into the two bonus tracks here in a second, but I just have to say uh, that's pro- that's that ensure. Um, if I had to pick two absolute favorites, ones that, that I would just not want to live without, I would, from her would be those two. Interestingly, this is very similar to, um, in, in melody in a way to lost in your eyes. It's like a variation on it. Also an electric piano versus a regular acoustic piano. But, uh, yeah, it's just got such a good feeling The backups the way at the end that it ties back into the beginning you know, as she's singing, it goes into that darling, you know, uh, that she says at the beginning. And I really love the way that that was tied in together. It was overlaid. And then, um, then the absolute, just like gut wrenching end to me, uh, just so powerful, really, really good stuff. So I absolutely love that song. Double, double thumbs up. If I were an AI painting, I would probably have five thumbs and, uh, all of them would be pointed up because, you know, if you guys have seen AI pictures, they are not that good yet. Um, when I was on the Deep Purple podcast for the end of the year show, the end of 2023, Nate put, um, some stuff into the AI to generate images for the show. And if you uh, have seen the YouTube version of it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a link on my website, um, under the music tab. Uh, I talk about where I have been a, uh, a guest on different podcasts. There's links to all of those. So there's a link to the YouTube version of, of the Deep Purple podcast, uh, 2023 year end. And um, Nate showed some pictures and oh my God, it was just hilarious. The stuff that it came up with. Uh, We're not quite there, but uh, if I were an AI picture, I'd probably have five thumbs, all five thumbs up for this song. Absolutely fantastic. Now, for the very first time in history, I'm going to listen to the two bonus tracks from the Deluxe Edition. There are more uh, tracks on the Deluxe Edition, but they're like, you know, remixes and hip hop, you know, more hip hop versions and stuff like that. Stuff that I don't really care about. Personally, but if you are into those kind of things, uh, and there are some re- remixes that I really do like. In fact, one of the ones that's on my list of vinyls to get that I had uh, years ago was Madonna's "La Isla Bonita." She had done as a remix, and at that time, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with remix music, so it was a whole different way to experience the song. Um, it was very well done. It was on a twelve-inch vinyl too, which was interesting. I think it was like ten or eleven minutes long, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, I haven't found a good price on that one yet, but that will be in my collection at some point, I am sure. But uh, I'll give you guys a little taste of it while I listen to the whole thing. This is called Love or Lust. That might uh, that might actually talk about my obsession with vinyl collections, too.
1: I feel there's something wrong between us. I have no real reason. You say you love me, but you have one way you love me. Show me love, and I need more, so listen to me.
0: I could definitely see why they left it off the album. um it it fits in musically with the stuff that she was writing. Uh, sonically, it matches the the production of the album. but it just I don't know it it's again, the backing vocals is just too much of it, and that kind of kills it for me. That talking at the opening, it's very rare that's ever gonna win me over. Um, it's a decent song. I liked it musically. Um, but the vocals really just, uh, you know, again, uh, the excessive backing vocals and talking points it didn't really work for me. I like the bass, though. The bass was nice as well. Let's see if we do better with our final track, which I've also never heard. This one is called Eyes of a Child. Eyes of the Child, excuse me. Got to get that stuff right. You know, it changes the meaning. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is probably where she was heading towards Broadway, because this has definitely a a Broadway feel uh, for me. Um, 50s, a little bit of 50s feel in there as well. Uh, Didn't really care for it. Um, Just not something that uh, I would want to hear or will probably ever hear again. And I'm okay with that, but it doesn't fit the album at all. I can definitely see why it was left off. Um, this may have been a single that was done for some purpose, like maybe a film or a project, or maybe she wrote it for a musical. I don't know, but it does not fit the album at all. So, uh, that's that. I appreciate you guys checking out this album with me. I think there's a lot of strong songs on this album. A lot of great performances, a little bit of overkill for me in some spots, but for the most part, I absolutely love it. My favorite of uh, the albums, my second favorite would probably be the last one that I covered. But um, yeah, really cool. Still would like to get a vinyl copy of this. So like I said, if you guys uh, have one and you don't want it, let me know. And uh, with that, I will say, join me Saturday for a special guest interview. And then we'll be back on Wednesday with our regularly scheduled episode with a guest. So lots of fun stuff coming up. Thanks for hanging out with me, guys. We'll see you on Saturday. Cheers.